Good morning, LifeSpring family. Happy Mother's Day. Um, this recording is for May the 10th on Mother's Day and just wanted to start out the time together today by saying that you're, you're loved and appreciated and hope and pray that you have a very happy Mother's Day and uh, we'll be praying for you before our time together is over with. Um, want to remind you, Monday through Thursdays, 8 a.m., we have um, notes from the pastor's desk, a little devotional together. A little bit of coffee, a whole lot of Jesus, we like to say. Uh, Monday evening, don't forget, 6 p.m., we'll have our Galatians, and we'll be moving into lesson number seven. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, there's a grand total of 13 lessons that we're working on, and we're already on lesson number seven. And then Wednesday evening, Heights Foursquare Church in Yakima on their Facebook page. Uh, to tell you how to get there, because I get questions from people, you look at your Facebook page, and at the top there's a little magnifying glass icon. Tap on that, and then type in Heights Foursquare Church Yakima, and hit search, and it'll bring up their page. And at 6 o'clock, Alaska Standard Time on Wednesday nights, you can take part in their music and worship service. And uh, you should be... Uh, just as uh, concerned about getting uh, to be a part of some worship services through the week as you are about being in the Word of God. Uh, the Word of God is what we receive from Father. Worship is what He receives from us. And uh, we want to be spiritually equitable in our relationship with God. We want to give as well as receive. So we're in a series of messages called the Esther series in honor of Mother's Day. We've uh, still got two more messages. This is the third, so we're right smack dab in the middle of our series on the book of Esther, and um, it's in honor of the women in our lives, uh, especially for this Mother's Day season. And in the Esther series, message three, we've titled this message, Coincidence, I Think Not. Next week, we'll be preaching a sermon from Esther called God's Providential Kaleidoscope. And um, so there'll be some emphasis uh, on God's timing in both messages this week and, and next week. Now, one of the things that I want to do is we're going to be talking about uh, the providential hand of God working in our lives. And, and I just want to start out with a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you once again for giving us this time to be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, which is our teacher. We pray that the soil of our hearts has been prepared, been being prepared all week long uh, by your Holy Spirit and by prayer, and that today that the soil of our hearts will receive good seed and that we'll water it with the power of prayer and that a great harvest of your word will come forth in our lives. It's our desire, Father, as we pray so often and speak forth with the words of our mouth that this this fellowship, this church, this family, Life Spring Bible Church, is a place where People can be discipled in your word. We want to be your disciples. We want to hear, see, understand, and obey your word so that we can be known as disciples of Christ. Father, help this to be a light and a beacon to a lost and dying world. And we pray that you would continue to grow this fellowship and draw us closer, Father, even in these times. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. We're talking about God's coincidences in our lives, the way God works, God's providence in the Esther series. And uh, our good friend and brother in the Lord, Ron Lango, every morning he is faithful to send out some devotionals to a list of people that 
uh, he texts with, and I happen to be one of those privileged individuals, and I got uh, this text at 7.51 a.m. We did not talk before I, we put together this message today, but I want to read this story to you, and then I want you to keep it in mind while we go through the message today and, and just see how God works. Uh, Ron Lango titled this little devotional this morning, Timing. When Nancy and I decided to move from California to South Oregon, we put our house up for sale. Nancy stayed behind while the house sold and made arrangements for me to stay with friends of her family in Medford, Oregon. These friends had a daughter who knew a man that worked for the district attorney as an investigator. He needed an assistant, and that is how I got into the criminal justice field, the right place at the right time. I did not see God's hand in this at the time. I just figured it was my good luck. As an aside, I had accepted a job with a greeting card company and had to call the person who hired me to tell him I was quitting. He had left for California when I called him. My boss quit after about a year and I became the lead investigator. About two years later, I went to polygraph school and became an examiner. After 20 years, I left that job and took one with a public defender. I stayed there for 10 years and then retired to Alaska. As I look back over my life, God's hand is all over it, even though at the time I didn't see it. My marriage to a God-fearing woman, my love of words, my jobs, my churches, my areas of living, my friends, my education, my baptism in the Holy Spirit, my eventual love of God's word, and Pugs, his little dog. All these events have helped me realize the person God has been molding this clay to become. You cannot shake my belief in the promises in God's word and the knowledge that he answers prayer. My healing from alcohol and his clear voice saying, I answered your prayer. May you all take time to reflect on the goodness of our God and his hand directing your life. Be courageous in your prayers and stand on his promise to answer them. To all mothers, I wish you a happy and blessed Mother's Day. He says, I'm still blowing my shofar three times at 10 each morning, my fight against the virus attacking Alaska and our country. Isn't that amazing? Uh, you know, along with Ron, um, I share um, his love of the shofar, believe it or not. If you don't know what a shofar is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the one that that Ron gave me as a gift um, when I on the first day that I was um, uh, voted in or prayed in as the pastor and appointed the pastor of this church. And um, we're going to blow that on the first day that we get back together because in, the, in Israel, they blowed the shofar to call for the gathering of the people. And so uh, we'll be blowing the shofar in our first service together. And that's all I have to say about that today. But soon that details will be worked out along with myself and uh, Eve and with Mike, and uh, we'll be meeting about that very subject this week. All right, so now one of the things I want to spare you, uh, of course, this is the Esther series. It's message three. The title is Coincidence, I Think Not. And I could read you the entire chapter of Esther chapter five and Esther chapter six, but I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to go down to the message goal and share that with you. And then I'm going to move right into the points about what we should be looking for. And I will break down those two chapters into sections so I don't have to read it to you twice. Does that make sense? 
But you need to go in your Bible to Exodus chapter 5 and set there at verse 1. And let me tell you a little bit about the intro and the message goal. The goal of this message is to help you learn how to discern God's providence at work in your circumstances, which is crucial, crucial because you will never see God at work behind the scenes until God sees you moving in accordance with his will. By way of an introduction, when you've been a police officer for many years, you know a lot of funny stories about people. A man was placed in a lineup because the police wanted him to repeat what the victim had said that the robber had said. So the police told the suspect to say, give me your money or I'll shoot you. Without even thinking, the man blurted out, that's not what I said. I wish I wasn't alone right now. Maybe somebody would laugh. Without even thinking, the man blurted out, that's not what I said. So I wrote, case closed. A lot of people would say that that thief had bad luck. Our world is consumed with the concept of luck, happenings that seem to randomly take place. I don't believe in luck. I believe in God. We hear people say all the time, boy, you sure are lucky, or the opposite, that you're really, that was really bad luck. But the book of Esther teaches us that there's no such thing as luck in God's creation. There's divine providence, often hidden as it is in Esther, that may look or feel like luck. Sometimes the outworking of God's providence gives the impression of chance, events happening, uh, as we've seen. But the reality is that, that the divine God is at work, causing or allowing events to work toward the achievement of his purposes. This is true because we've learned, if we've learned anything so far from the study of Esther, it is that God's kingdom purposes and plans cannot be stopped. They cannot be thwarted. What appear to be random or lucky happenings are the result of God's providential movements in history. We're emphasizing providence in Esther because it teaches probably more clearly than any other book in the Bible that providence is God's way of staying anonymous. In those times when God doesn't want to be out front and work in a spectacular and obvious ways, He'll work behind the scenes to orchestrate what appear to be chance happenings, coincidences, or just good or bad luck on the part of people involved. Esther, the chapters of 5 and 6 are loaded with these seeming coincidences, God's work behind the scenes. So I have to ask the question, how can I discern God's providence by looking in this story in Esther? Number one, by seeing divine insights in special ways physically and spiritually. Let me say that again. By seeing divine insights in special ways physically and spiritually. Now, Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Take notice that the queen positioned herself physically in a place where she could be seen by the king. When you couple this physical action along with what took place in the latter part of chapter 4, you have a powerful and productive combination. One of the most fruitful ways to receive uh, the added insight we need is by the spiritual discipline of fasting. Remember that Esther had called for three days of fasting and prayer at the end of chapter 4. Fasting raises our spiritual antennas, hires, get them up higher so we can get the picture of what God wants to do and to hear what he has to say about any situation we're facing. 
One reason we miss God's coincidences is that we fail to raise our spiritual antennas so we don't pick up the spiritual signals. Point number two, to answer our question, how can I discern God's providence by looking at this story in Esther? Number two, by taking a step of faith, even if it's risky. In Esther chapter two, pick up at verse, or Esther chapter five, pick up at verse two. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came into the feast that Esther had prepared. You know, I believe today that many of us are waiting for God to act while God looks for faith first. The scriptures are full of examples of this principle. Now, what I did was, I just pulled up examples from sermons that we've preached here at Life Spring. Uh, Bible church to the family in the last year. Watch this, and you'll remember uh, parts and snippets of messages we've already preached. Moses' mother put him in a little basket in faith that God would protect him. Later, Moses had to hold out his staff and, and his hand over the Red Sea before God would part it to allow the Israelites to pass through on holy ground and escape the Egyptians. Uh, escape the Egyptians. The priests of Israel had to step into a swollen Jordan River before God would open it up and allow Israel to cross the promised land, to cross to the promised land. Remember Ruth? Ruth just happened to be gleaning in the fields of Boaz, of Boaz when he just happened to visit the fields of that exact time so he could protect and provide for her and Naomi. And out of that came the line of the uh, King of David and the Messiah. One of the most fascinating cases of this principle at work is in the early life of Saul in relation to finding his father's lost mules. You remember that story? God didn't show up for three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter 3 until they took their stand for him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He didn't show up for Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 until Daniel took a stand and got tossed into a lion's den. Faith is measured in footsteps. I'll say that again. Faith is measured in footsteps. God sees faith because without faith it is impossible to please him, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Number three, by embracing his providential timing. Look at Esther chapter 5, verses 6 through 14. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. Then answered, my wish and my request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to a feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went that day, joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them 
the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. Even tomorrow, as I have invited, I am invited by her together with the king, yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the, the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. Do you believe God is detailed? I believe God is so detailed in his coincidences that he leads the servants of King Ahasuerus to the right book in his royal annals. Why am I reading that now? Uh, pay attention to this. Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And he makes them, and, and, and when, and what happens here, uh, you'll see after point four, and I may have this portion of it a little out of place, but listen carefully to this. There's a series of things that are unfolding that I wanted to keep together, and one of them is this. The queen invites Haman to a feast after the king asks her what he can do for her, what, what he can bless her with, what's her request. She says, I want you to bring Haman and be a part of a feast with me today, and then she makes a, a proclamation that she'll tell him tomorrow uh, what it is that she wants from him if he and Haman will attend the feast the next day. Now, the reason why I'm clumping this together here is I want you to understand something that's unfolding. She's invited Haman to a feast that day and invited Haman to a feast the next day where she's going to make a proclamation to the king about what she wants, what her desire is, but she knows she needs to have Haman at both feasts. How does she already know that she needs to have him there? She knows because before this part started, they fasted for three days. And they did not only not eat food, they did not drink water for three days. That's a serious fast when you decide not to drink or eat. That's one of the most serious fasts that you can go on. And she placed her and her servants around her, her attendants were all on this fast, and she'd sent a note to Mordecai, and he got people, as many people in the province fasting that way as he could. That's why she knew, after she'd raised her spiritual antenna, she knew God wanted to bring Haman to this feast, make him feel special, invite him to the feast the next day, because God had a plan for that night. But it was risky coming into the presence of the king. Am I not? Am I not correct? So, let me share this with you again. First of all, how can I discern God's providence by looking at this story in Esther? One, by seeing divine insights in special ways, physically and spiritually. She positioned herself spiritually and physically so that she could hear from God and so that she could be seen by the king, Right? Number two, by taking a step of faith, even if it's risky, coming into the presence of the king without being invited, if he did not raise the golden scepter, you would be beheaded. You'd lose your life, right? So you come down through here, and number three was by embracing his providential timing. So in reading 6 through 14, we find out that she makes this unusual request, 
And these things that she does makes Haman feel special and makes him hate Mordecai even more, right? Number four, by understanding that he's controlling uncontrollable circumstances. Look at Esther chapter 6, verse 1 through 14. On that night, the king could not sleep. Imagine that. On the night, sandwiched between one feast with Haman and the king, put on by Esther, and the next day where she's going to put on another feast, and she's invited Haman, and the king will be there, and she gets to make this special request to the king. Watch. On that night, the king could not sleep. Imagine that. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Tirish, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Talk about an ego. And Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on a horse through the square of the city, proclaiming for him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robes and the horse, as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing that you have mentioned. So Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai, and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom, you, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. While they were yet talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried to bring Haman to the, pre, to the feast that Esther had prepared. Now, there's two words in that story that are so powerful, the words, that night. That night is the key to Esther's story, and it can be the key to your story. What? Not, not that night, that morning, that moment, that time, that day. That Two words, that and whatever time it was, that God had something happen that you had no control over. I mean, isn't it amazing that through fasting and prayer, Esther knew what to do with the feast. And God, of course, was in that. And, and she can't take credit for that other than deciding to fast and pray. And then God told her what to do. That, that, was, so, that was so intelligent. It's above Esther. I mean, it's above Esther. It's a God thing, right? And then that night, the king can't sleep. And he calls for the chronicles to be brought to him. 
the historical chronicles of the kingdom to be read to him. I don't know if he thought that was going to put him to sleep because the fact of the matter is it had him up all night long. They were going to read until they got to the part about Mordecai because that's what the whole purpose of him not sleeping that night and these men, these eunuchs reading to him the chronicles of the kingdom to get to that part about Mordecai. It excited him to remind him that he remembered that Mordecai had saved his life and he asked the, the, the logical question, what did we do to reward this man? They said, we didn't do anything. Well, it's better late than never, but the timing was perfect. It wasn't late. It was right on time, you see, how these things unfolded. I mean, it's just so powerful. The words that night is the key to Esther's story, and it could be the key to your story. Now, I highlighted these next two lines. Pay attention to them. There will be that special moment when God brings together a special set of circumstances involving a special set of people to begin putting your answer together. No matter how much power or position people have, there is only one God. Never forget it. Doesn't matter how many special people there are. There's only one God. Do you see? If you started counting all the people involved in what God has done, I mean, there's Esther, there's the king, there's Mordecai, there's Mordecai's wife, there's Mordecai's friends, of which they call, you know, these wise counselors of his. And then there's all these eunuchs and there's all these people surrounding the king and and on and on and on. And then there's the Jewish people throughout the entire provinces of Persia that have fasted and prayed. And it's just amazing. God has brought all this together, the great orchestra director. Now, how do you think that that should make you feel about your one life, your life? You know, God's got your life in control. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If our spiritual receiver is off, we don't get the picture. Even though God has answers all over the place. So, let me let me just share this with you again. All right? Just pay attention to this. How can I discern God's providence by looking at this story in Esther? One, by seeing divine insights in special ways, physically and spiritually. Number two, by taking a step of faith, even if it's risky. Number three, by embracing his providential timing. And number four, by understanding that he is controlling uncontrollable circumstances. There's a story here about um, King Tut that I want to share with you. The lavish tomb of the Egyptian pharaoh, King Tut, but, uh, was famously discovered and opened in the early 1920s. The gold-laden tomb quickly became a tourist sensation, but after years of tourists tramping through to see this amazing sight, the dust they brought in, the humidity, and even the carbon dioxide from their breath began to damage the wall paintings and affect other parts of the tomb. It got so bad that they had to close the tomb for almost a decade to do restoration and install protections, such as walkways and ventilation system. Listen to this. Sometimes, like over-eager tourists, we can become so impatient to try and figure out what God is doing that we rush into things in order to see what's going on. We just need to let God be God. Amen? During World War II, Alan Brooke, who was chief of the British Imperial General Staff, remarked to King George VI that although the British Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery was a good soldier, I think he's after my job. The king replied, I thought he was after mine. <laughs> 
If Montgomery did wish he were king, he certainly would not have been the first person in a position of leadership or privilege to hold that ambition. Haman had kingly ambitions, which is why he suggested that the person the king wanted to honor should wear his ring and ride his horse. There were symbols of royalty that said to the people, the man wearing them was in line for the throne of Medo-Persia, so Haman thought he was setting himself up for the future. But God had a big surprise for Haman, as he often does for us when we get puffed up and start thinking we would be like, uh, or we would be king in our lives. But there's room for only one king on the throne of our hearts. Unless there's contact with God, unless there's contact with God, he could be moving and we could be missing it. When there's no contact, no dependency on God in fasting and prayer, there's no faith in action on our part. Therefore, there is no ideas coming into our minds that we have not previously considered about how to deal with a seemingly impossible situation. Folks, I want to challenge you today to live under the providential hand of God, even when it looks like it's not working at all, to humbly go before him and confess, I don't know what to do, and and listen to me carefully. Some people will disagree with this, and that's okay. Eat the meat and spit out the bones. Let me read this again. I want to challenge you to live under the providential hand of God even when it looks like it's not working out. To humbly go before him and confess, I don't know what to do and I'm afraid. Tell God when you're suffering from fear so that you can hear him say, fear not. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let him speak to you in this very personal way. Then you can say with conviction, I'm going to trust you. Esther was afraid, but she acted in faith. Even though you think something should be happening long before now, remember that God is doing a series of things at the same time because his kingdom is bigger than just you and me. You're not the kingdom. You're a representative in the kingdom. Be used by the king for the kingdom's advancement of his perfect timing. Our God is a God of intersections. He connects things that don't look connectable when the timing is just right, even though everything looks wrong. God is at work when circumstances look uncontrollable, when life looks unpredictable, and when sin looks unstoppable. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you once again for your word. I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you that it is life to our bones and breath to our bodies. Father, I want to thank you in Jesus' name for this book of Esther. I thank you that there's a book in the Bible that doesn't necessarily talk so openly about you. But, Father, we see openly your hand in this book. Even though less words are used to talk specifically about your names that make provision for our lives, we get to see you in action in this book. Father, it doesn't take an intelligent human being to see as we read this book over and over and over again this long list of names and groups of people that are just doing your bidding. There are people that are relying upon their own intelligence and their own gifts and and its ego, and it ends their life. It feeds death to them, Father. Then we see these series of people that don't trust themselves. They only trust you. They trust in fasting. They trust in prayer. They trust in the leading of your spirit. They trust in your guidance and your direction. Father, help us to be those people. 
Help us to understand, Father, that embracing this kind of teaching guarantees that our best days lie ahead of, our, of us, not behind us. Father, help us to understand that we don't need to live buried in regret of the past. Remorse, yes, Father. Repentance, yes. But so deeply buried in regret that we can't get anything done today, that's just wrong. Father, I want to thank you that in your providence you created the Lamb's Book of Life a long time ago. Father, I believe your word encourages us to live our lives like we know our names in that book. And that's what we're going to do for your glory. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for leading us and guiding us and directing us as we make plans to be together again soon. Father, we want to take every step we take based in faith and wisdom and not fear. Thank you for your hand of protection upon us. Thank you for keeping us safe. Once again, thank you for the women, Father, of our life, of this world that you placed here, the gift of, of mothers, the gift of women, and how boring this world would be without these gifts that you have placed in our lives and in this world. Father, we pray for the women that today would be a blessed and wonderful and precious Mother's Day for them. May those that love them shower them, Father, with love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, family. Thanks for tuning in with us. And we'll see you next week for God's providential kaleidoscope. Bye.